0: Welcome back to the Daniel Muggleton podcast. It's me. I'm Daniel Muggleton. I'm the guy. Uh, thanks for tuning in. This week's episode, we're talking a bit of cricket. We're talking what is a catch, uh, making vague analogies about what is a catch as well. Uh, obviously talking about the Johnny Besto stumping slash runouts, talking about salty Brits uh, and not just because of their dietary intake. And then we jump on to me getting the devil horns as a as a as a piece of feedback while I was doing comedy. Weird, but I liked it. I liked it, and I related to it way too much. Uh, quickly before we dive in, uh, big show coming up in Sydney at the Comedy Store, one of the best comedy venues I have ever played. It's in Sydney. It's 300 seats. Get booking those tickets. Uh, they're selling. I think I've sold 69. Nice. Uh, so far that is on July 14th. All the details on my website, www.danielmuggleton.com.au more shows about to be announced. So sign up to my mailing list. I just sorted that out and oh, you can get merch on there. I've, I've gotten rid of all the black shirts are sold out, but white shirts are still available. If you want to get around them, that's it. Cool. I did the things that I had to say, and now we can get into the episode, and you know how we're gonna get there. You know the, the vehicle, the vehicle that's gonna take us there, it's Verticoli. <music> Look, I did flag it in the intro, so I feel there's absolutely no apology necessary for what's going to be a pretty heavily cricket-weighted episode. If you hate cricket, I would say tune out, but I don't believe that. I say stay in. Stay in. Maybe this is the chat that convinces you to give cricket a bash. I know obviously a lot of you are outside Australia, so you just know cricket as this weird game that People wear white and it takes multiple days and it's baseball but not baseball and you're fucking spot on. That's exactly what cricket is. It is weird. That's the fun bit. I don't know how much I've waxed lyrical about cricket. I think a little bit with Goxie. We talked about uh, the lack of the thick cricketer, the, the the thick boys, the old boys who used to you know, tuck into the meat pies at lunchtime, come out with a bit of a gut and play sport at a professional level. Uh, I would like to... Before we even jump into the Ashes, uh, the the classic series between Australia and England that is being played right now, before we even dip into the Ashes, I do want to take a second uh, to shout out Travis Head. Travis Head, not only an excellent cricketer, but pretty thick, pretty thick boy and not in any kind of body shaming way. I'm just saying, he's stocky, his mustache is as thick as he is. This is what we want. He comes out. He plays aggressively in the middle order. It's enough to, it's enough to give you an erection that looks like a Datsun 180B. That's what it's all about. A classic blokey Australian erection, thick, casually racist, putting the putting their schooner upside down at the pub, saying they'll fight anybody. That's what I'm talking about. It's good to see Travis head. It feels like a throwback, and maybe that's just because. He's from Adelaide, and their present is a bit of a throwback uh, for anywhere else in Australia. But let's get in to the Ashes. Uh, The second test decided yesterday. Both tests have gone to day five. You heard that right. Day five, again, international listeners. Yes, cricket takes place across multiple days when it is a test match as opposed to a one-day international or a T20. T20 is just 20 overs each side. A one-day, 50 overs each side. A test match is five days. I think the requirement is 80 overs a day. Sometimes they get more in. RBS takes five days, and those days are punctuated by two breaks. One of them lunch, one of them tea. Lunch is at lunchtime, tea is at tea time. I believe until fairly recently. I'm going to put it out, I don't know, in the last 30 years for lunch, they would genuinely go inside and just have a bite of lunch, sometimes, not infrequently, with alcohol. Like, you know, they'd have, they'd have a sit-down meal <laughs> in the middle of a professional sporting event, sit-down meal, glass of wine, be like, "Hey, doing, chaps? And then get back out there with their lovely knitted vests and have another bash at it until they got a bit sleepy. Around 3, 3.30 p.m., they go inside for another little break uh, for some for some tea and scones, and they come out compete some more. Who says you can't have a bit of dignity, a bit of gentlemanliness, gentle gen, gentility? There we go. Got it. Feeling good. I knew. I knew recording the podcast earlier than usual uh, was going to lead to a different level of mental acuity. Here we are, day five. It ended. I watched it. I drank it up. This was top shelf test match cricket. The one thing I was trying to, I was trying to figure this out all day. I'm like, why, why does the test match just feel so damn good when it gets down to the fifth day? And I, I think it's the tension I talked previously about, about football, how the tension's always there because the margins are so small. This is, this is soccer football for any Americans. Uh, the margins are small. You know, it's 1-0, 2-0. Nil, nil. Goals can be scored in literally seconds. So there's always just this tension. You're 2-0 up. You're coasting. That's cruisy. But the other team can claw it back in sub a minute. Then suddenly you're in it. You're drawing. You're on that. Scores a level, which just doesn't really doesn't really happen in football when someone's blowing you out 30, you know, 32 to 21 or whatever. Like it's very. Like obviously that's like within two touchdowns but just like the mechanisms that require a touchdown then a conversion it just football can turn fast and that's why that's exciting and the thing about cricket is it, I think it's just I think it's just the build up not to get not to get too goddamn horny here but I think it's it's the edging it's the it's the sport equivalent of edging you're like you 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 remaining stimulated over such a long period that the eventual release is ooh, powerful, like that, like that Eddie Murphy joke. You know, it's like she doesn't give you some; you got to wait. These aren't regular old crackers, are they? These are regular old. Cra- these are these are just these are just regular old crackers. Like that. That's what we're looking for. Um, it's amazing how deeply Eddie Murphy's delirious is just burned into my brain. I can not only hear like the topics, but like. The lines verbatim and with the accent is just there. It is just there. But I'm getting sidetracked and I refuse to. There was too much fun in this test for me to get fully sidetracked. Australia won. That's not why I enjoyed it. As I've said previously, uh, during Australia's period of dominance, probably one of the greatest cricket teams ever put together. That was in my youth. The Australian team was just the best. They were just the best. I got sick of it, started supporting South Africa. I'm an equal opportunity cricket fan. I'm not a patriot. I just like seeing the game played well. Uh big controversy yesterday. I wanna I wanna dive straight in to the controversy. What happened was Cameron Green, uh, the big motherfucker, the big unit, he's tall, he's six six, he bats, he bowls, he's agile in the field. Cameron Green was bowling. Boulder bouncer, pretty average bouncer. The batsman, Johnny though ducks underneath it. It gets to the keeper, Alex Carey. And Alex Carey does something that's usually only reserved for the one-day game where he gets the ball and immediately rolls it towards the stumps uh, in order to affect either a run-out or a stumping. Generally, this is done in one-day cricket uh, where people are constantly trying to sneak singles, steal singles. Off a pace bowler, the keeper's back. They've got time. If if the if the non-striker is backing up far enough, then they can get a run in in the time that it takes the ball to go to the keeper and then back towards the stumps. Pretty common tactic. I've never actually seen anyone run out because the keepers, you know, having to stand so far back because of the pace of the ball, they have to roll it, let's say five to ten meters, uh, and hit the stumps. That's not an easy thing to do. But in this instance, in the test match, have having having a little tend to the garden. Uh, one of my favourite things uh, about the slowness of cricket is that batsmen will wander down the pitch uh, and just you know knock in knock in a couple of cracks, knock in a couple of weeds, sweep some some pebbles. Well, they're not pebbles. What are they? Just coagulated bits of dirt. Just some of that. They'll just sweep it off the pitch in order to make it smoother. In order to make the ball bounce off it more consistently and increase their ability to hit it. Uh, so he's gone to do that without waiting for the ball to be dead, without having a look behind him, without the over being called by the umpire. He's walked out of his crease as the ball has hit the stumps. He's out of his crease. The Australians appeal. The umpire sends it upstairs and they're like, yep, out of the crease. Bales are off. You are run out. Uh, and then I believe... I think it was amended to a stumping. I think officially it was a stumping. Uh, being stumped off a pace bowler. Uh, probably insulting to the bowler a little bit. Being like, hey, that's... You're only you're only packing that many... Only packing that many KMs. Only packing that many miles per hour that a guy can get stumped off you. Jesus Christ, mate. Pick it up. Bend your back a bit, you dog. Um, but that's what's happened. And the English crowd, the Ashes being played in England... Start booing like crazy. People suggest it's not in the spirit of the game. Stuart Broad, pantomime villain, comes in next and makes a big song and dance about always checking that his bat is in his crease and that the ball's been waved dead for the entire time he batted, which was about an hour. Look, I like Stuart Broad in that he commits to the bit. He's a cunt and he plays the cunt. And that makes him a good cunt, in my opinion. That is Australian logic right there. Uh, I think if you are going to be a villain and you're a villain consistently, but you're also a good player and the the villainry is like almost a bit pantomime, that's just good. That's just good for the game. Bit of character. I like it. Stuart Broad, 100% support from me. Um, Incredible career. I think this might be his last series, but we'll see. Um... Anyway, that's the that's the action. Then Ben Stokes plays one of the great innings you'll ever see. An inning so good that the ever sarcastic Luke Heggie jumped on Twitter to talk about it earnestly. I've never seen Luke Heggie use Twitter for anything apart from promoting tickets via celebrity deaths. That's his trope on Twitter. He had to jump on just to say how good this Ben Stokes innings was. And it was. It was incredible. He made like 150 uh, he was the only piece of resistance. He almost got England across the line. When you're watching it live, you're like, holy shit, they are going to win. And he was the one who saw Besto get run out. Um, his, his, uh, I think there was T was called. T was called. The Aussies come off the field. England's chanting. Same old Aussies, always cheating. They have to go through the members in the long room. Remember, cricket is a colonial game and not just because India is really fucking good at it. Uh, It's a colonial game. It's an old school game. It's a pretentious game. So at Lord's, which is the home of cricket, uh, the visiting team will go through the long room, which is basically where the members are just standing there in the room, drinking, getting the pims in uh, as any Australian cricket commentator will bring up frequently uh, throughout the test match. Tubby Taylor. Good on you. We appreciate knowing exactly what beverages the spectators are having really adds color to the experience. I know I sound sarcastic, but I'm not. Anyway, they're coming through. Some abuse is hurled. Uh, Usman Khwaja cops a bit. David Warner steps in, cops a bit too. Some guy, there's like great videos on Twitter of people hissing. (laughs) Just because in their mind, the run out slash thumping was not in the spirit of the game. Now, this is a weird weird part of cricket uh, that I think doesn't really exist in any other sport. There's a thing where like you appeal for a wicket, so like a wicket can take place. Like someone could edge the ball and they could be caught behind, but if nobody appeals, the umpire doesn't give it out. Like that's that's kind of part of the game. You appeal for the wicket, and if there's an absence of an appeal, then a wicket cannot be given. Uh, so even though Australia's like appealed for the run out, uh, in the post match presser, Ben Stokes has suggested that. If he was the captain, he would have uh, taken back the appeal. It would have been a warning for Johnny Bairstow that little slap on the wrist. You know, like when, like when they move Catholic priests between parishes. Naughty, naughty, don't do it again. Anyway, go on down the road. Uh, <laughs> what an inappropriate analogy for a fairly sporting conversation. Anyway, so that's what he suggested he would have done. Uh, the coach of England's like, yeah, I can't say he's having a beer with them many times soon because after the game they have a beer That's pretty common in cricket. Uh, so he's basically saying the Australians are not in the spirit of the game uh, because yes, technically it was out within the rules but, but, but so you must you must you must understand that there's the spirit there's a spirit of the game which is to be read uh, within within the rules. So the rules can be a certain way, but the spirit is different. It's the vibe. Uh, to quote a famous Australian film. Um, obviously, go fuck yourself. Uh, this has been very fun because it's pissed off a large number of British celebrities. Piers Morgan got in there immediately, being like, it's not in the spirit of the game. And it's like, Piers, you're a professional cunt. Uh, I don't think you can talk about spirit because we're all pretty sure that yours is going south rather than north when you die, right? Uh. John Cleese got involved. It's like, it wasn't, cr- it's just, it's not cricket. It's just not cricket. I don't know. I don't know what John Cleese, I can't do a John Cleese, all right? I'm just going broad uh, British accents at this point. Um, so, he's weighed in as well, saying it's not cricket. Uh, like, my favorite has just been how the Australians haven't really apologized for it at all. Top shelf. Um, and that, there's footage now of Johnny Bairstow, who's the English keeper, by the way. He's the wicket keeper, just like Alex Carey's the wicket keeper who ran him out. Johnny Bairstow, the English wicket keeper, tried to run out one of the Australian batsmen the exact same way two days ago. (laughs) So they're like, it's not in the spirit of the game, but we did it two days ago. But I promise if it hit the stumps, we would have withdrawn our appeal. Aren't we all great? It's just, it's professional sport. There are the rules. There's operating inside the rules. Obviously, Australia, in recent memory, sanctioned for operating outside the rules with the sandpaper on the cricket ball. I was there. They deserve to be punished for that. They were punished for that. Australia implemented its own punishment on Steve Smith, the greatest batsman of his generation, which was entirely disproportionate. Uh, but they, they did something outside the rules of the game. They were punished. Done. This is inside the rules of the game. Uh, it's an unusual dismissal. Johnny Basto was a dumb cunt for leaving his crease. He's tried to do the same thing, not only in one-day matches, but in test matches, but also in this test match, two days before, fucking suck it. <laughs> I've never seen like a real-life instance where the phrase suck eggs... Just is fucking spot on. That's exactly what England can do. Um, it's just funny because they come out with this like spirit of the game argument and it's like it's within the rules, but it's none of the. You motherfuckers invented the rules. I'm sure some of the people hissing in their fucking red and orange blazers in the long room literally came up with some of the rules of cricket. And they're there being like, oh, no, nah, it's fucked when it happens to us. Dude, it's done. It's over. It was a great match. I thought Ben Stokes was going to get you there anyway. I would argue that the manner of the dismissal probably fired Stokes up to the point where he played that incredible innings. Australia tried to fucking give it to you on a platter a little bit uh, because they just kept bowling short. Uh, Even though when the tail-enders are in, the last two worst batsmen just put it on the fucking stumps. You'll get them. They kept bowling short. They stuck to the plan. Uh, But, yes, it was very fun to watch. It's been very fun watching English people kind of melt down about it, even though, as I said two days before, same thing. Uh, There's other footage coming out of their keeper being like, oh, what a brilliant tactic, literally taking the ball and holding it behind the stumps while a batsman was there looking around, waiting for him to move his foot, whips the bales off, got him out. Oh, what a genius move. It's amazing how when something sneaky is clever when you do it, but underhanded when somebody does it to you. <laughs> but look, that's not the only thing I wanted to talk about with the cricket. Um, the other thing, which is, which is weird because it seems like in all sports, this is kind of happening a little. And like, all right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lay out what it is. Basically, in cricket, one of the ways you can get out is when people catch the ball after you hit it. If they hit the ball to you on the full and you catch it, then they are out. That is one of the means of dismissal. Modes of dismissal? Means of dismissal. Types of dismissal. Don't mind that. Uh, I'm going with modes though, fuck it. <laughs> uh, so, There's been, in this particular test match, the same one, uh, the second test of the Ashes, um, two controversial catches. Now, generally, a controversial catch is when the ball has potentially hit the ground and the fieldsman claims it and the batsman doesn't accept their version of events. Uh, so it's thrown up to the fourth umpire, who's the umpire not on the field, third umpire, sorry, third umpire not on the field, uh, in order to determine uh, who was correct by looking at a bunch of replays. Um, back in the day, it was, it was pretty honorable, so if they claim the catchy walk, that tends to be how it works, uh, but now, you know, because it's a professional game, and the spirit of the game is less significant, because there's shitloads of money on the line in the Indian Premier League, so, so maybe there's just the game, <laughs> the spirit is about as real as the spirit realm. Um, but there's been these, these issues. The, the first one was Steve Smith, the uh, former Australian captain, who claimed a catch where he seemed to bobble it as he hit the ground, but then come up with it in his hand, kind of one hand. It definitely went out of his hands, then he's regathered it, and it didn't appear to have hit the ground during that time. He claimed it. They reviewed it. He was, The batsman was given out. The second one was a far more straightforward catch, really. Uh, Mitchell Stark caught the ball, and then in breaking his fall, separated his hands. It was a two-handed catch, and then he separated his hands to break the fall, and the ball, while being in his control, touched the grass. And they've reviewed that and said that it wasn't out. Now, my... I'm I don't have a bone to pick with whether or not those two things were or weren't catches. My point is like how as time has passed, did we forget what a fucking catch is? <laughs> I remember playing cricket growing up. At no point did anybody ever explain what a catch was. They just said if you catch it, the guy's out. So do try and catch it like a catch is just a catch. It's known inherently it's across uh, known innately even <laughs> it's like other animals are born with this like ability to push the other birds out of the nest to get fed. Uh, humans are born with the ability to catch. Uh, that's, that's our thing. Uh, you throw the baby, you catch it. Like, uh, you know, some, some food's thrown to you, you catch it, you put it in your mouth, catching, you got it. It's, it's inherent. Uh, And now this game has been played for like over a hundred years and now there's disputes about what catches are and they're trying to break it down into this like piecemeal like did the person have full control of the ball? Did they have control of their body? Did the ball touch the ground? It's like we knew what it was and now you're overcomplicating it. Like I know it's a weird thing for even a former law student to say, but sometimes when you quantify every aspect of something it becomes more complicated than it needs to be like is it a catch did you catch it these questions were sufficient when it becomes a fucking flowchart of like did you have control of the ball did you have control of your body did the ball touch the ground at any point Was the control over the ball maintained? Was the control over the body maintained? You just lose sight of what's fucking right in front of you. Because, yeah, for me, from the eye test, the Steve Smith one, probably not a catch. The Mitchell Stark one, definitely a catch. Like the reverse of what the letter of the law said. And like, I don't know if this is a strange like analogy to draw, but I, I just can't help but it kind think it kind of reflects the whole identity politics gender thing. Like there there seems to be like, oof. you know, when you're about to bring something up and you and you understand that for for a lot of people this is quite a sensitive topic, so you you want to get what you're saying correct. I'm just saying that when you are forced to justify something as opposed to just is it or is it not, then you actually overcomplicate what is an otherwise simple issue. Like obviously that's the that's the little trip up move now for like politicians is like define what a woman is. And it's like they've got to come up with their own criteria or they've got to use uh, subjective um Definition I guess Whereas like I just feel like it's very similar With what is a catch It's like everyone knew what a catch was And now That when people are just like Oh but that doesn't Fulfill the criteria of a catch You're like shut the fuck up cunt It's a catch They said it's a catch Everyone looking at it thinks it's a catch It's a catch And I'm not saying that in that necessarily with gender, what somebody looks like is what it is. I'm just saying that if you're going to start quantifying all these things to be like, let's just go for, you know, transgender women competing in women's sport. If you're going to make it like, how long have they been taking hormones? Have they had this kind of reassignment surgery? Have they, and you just like start doing a list and a list and a list. It's like, I think that's actually a far more Convoluted system That'd be like Hey Are you a woman? Yes Great In you go Like Does that make sense? I tried to talk about this On another podcast And I don't feel like I got my point across Great there either But I just I really feel like It's kind of the same thing It's like Pretty much In Every interaction With gender That I've had There's either a pretty obvious indication of what gender somebody is, or they tell me. (laughs) And I'm like, cool, let's go with that going forward. Just like whenever I've played cricket, either it's obviously a fucking catch because the person has it in their hands before it hits the ground, or they come up off the ground and they're like, I caught it. And I'm like, cool, done, let's get out of here. That's it. Is that an oversimplification of both issues? An undersimplification of both issues? I don't know. I just think I know what a fucking catch is. I think when you attempt to over-regulate slash over-explain anything, it becomes needlessly complicated. And Johnny Bairstow was stumped because he was a dumb cunt who left his crease. Suck it, John Cleese. See you in the third test. All right, I can't put you through an entire hour of sport. I know, I know that that's not what you're here for. Uh, The only people that talk about sport, ex-athletes and, you know, more athletic-looking men on Barstool Sports, I don't even know if they're athletes or not. They're just just quite thick. They kind of got that Abercrombie and Fitch energy. And I'm like, fuck it, I guess I probably know what they're talking about. Let's get back into comedy. Let's do it. First gig back uh, from the UK took place last Sunday. I think I spoke about it a little bit uh, on last week's podcast. But a thing happened I completely forgot about. Uh, So it was a gig where music was the main attraction. A couple of comedians as a little palate cleanser slash something different. Uh, An alternative, an entertainment alternative. And so this thing happened. I was on, I was on the roof of the boat uh, doing jokes, people laughing, having a good time. And then I hit a punchline. Everyone laughs apart from one guy who throws up the devil horns, throws up the, you know, rock on, devil horn vibe. He doesn't laugh though. <laughs> he wasn't like laughing and putting the devil horns up. He was like, I'm really enjoying this. How do I show him? Throws up the horns. And look, it's been it's been a week. I've been thinking about it. I'm um, I'm wondering what other aspects of his life the Devil Horns have entered, whether it was just that we were on what was, you know, a punk rock boat that he utilized his punk rock sign language uh, to communicate to me that he was having a good time or is it just all the time? (laughs) Like, you know, waiters like, how's the food, sir? Fucking throws up the devil horns. Uh, that's, look, I know it's a bit silly, but like it, it does kind of ring true to me because to, to be honest, that's one of the reasons that I really like doing comedy because you know, when you, when you're on stage, um, The the feedback system is very simple. Either they're laughing, which means you're doing well and they're having a good time, or they're not laughing, uh, which means you're doing badly and they're having a bad time. Like it's a very binary response thing. So you can kind of measure how well things are going quite easily. And I like that because, and I think because I'm so indoctrinated with comedy, I'm kind of like this guy. That like whenever I see any kind of live performance, like I think I should be laughing or like clapping or like giving some kind of like oral oral feedback sounds weird. That kind of that 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 kind of that kind of sounds sounds like some kind of horny, you're getting a you're getting a blowjob and you're being like get the balls, always the always the balls. It's always the balls every single time. You're always you always want more ball attention than the balls do get more attention. They're a bit ticklish. You know? Whoa, right, too much ball attention. <laughs> I don't know if I'm adding myself there or uh, speaking on behalf of all men. I, you know, I I'll be honest. I haven't I haven't uh, witnessed many men getting blowjobs and therefore reacting to ball interaction. Uh, outside of professionals who, you know, as any man or woman who's watched uh, heterosexual porn, like porn star testicles seem to be able to endure anything, anything. They can be sucked on real hard. They can be grabbed real hard. I've seen them inserted into somebody, like not even the vagina, into the arsehole. This guy's got his balls in there and then pulls them out and seem to enjoy that. I'm like, my boys, my boys are not, you know, they're not billionaires trying to look at the wreckage of a uh, wreckage of the uh, Titanic. Oh, that would have been good if it was smoother. Fuck. Anyway, my balls aren't billionaires attempting to look at the wreckage of the Titanic. They're happy to chill on the surface, have a good time. There we go. Smoother. Do I leave the rest in? You better believe it. Um, so yeah, Where did I get to... Fuck, yeah, sorry. Talking about enjoying things. (laughs) Sorry, that was such a sidetrack. I'm, like, talking about oral feedback, which, you know, oral kind of has that sex thing. It was funny. I was talking to some mates about, like, the leather wedding anniversary, which is the third anniversary, and they went straight to, like, kink. It's amazing how kink has just taken over leather and, like, you know, blowjobs have somewhat, somewhat taken over oral. But, I mean, oral... That's gender neutral, right? Yeah, oral sex on a lady. You go down a lady. Okay, fair enough. I've jumped in there. I feel like this is also painting me as a person who is uh, constantly giving feedback while receiving any kind of oral sex or, I guess, giving oral sex. Maybe. Nobody's doing that. Your mouth's full. Anyway. (laughs) Regardless of when I record this podcast, it feels late, doesn't it? Anyway. Um, Yeah, I definitely have had experiences where I've been watching another show. Like I remember this very vividly uh, last year in Edinburgh, uh, my friend Cassie Workman, uh, she was doing her show. She's a comedian, but this show wasn't really a comedy show. Like it was, it was definitely like a theater kind of one, one woman show. Um, But she's usually a comedian. So I went watching it to support her and was like, Like it was a fairly like intense show about the death of Kurt Cobain and like kind of the, the feelings about relating to why Kurt Cobain would take his own life and all that kind of stuff. And I was sitting there being like, shit, is she bombing? (laughs) Cause during this like very emotionally taxing show, nobody was laughing. And I was like, shit, should I kind of start? like a laugh on this should I kind of try and get the audience there and it was I think a 90 minute show and it was only like 45 minutes in that I was like oh like I don't think that's the aim (laughs) I don't think you know getting people to laugh is really what she's trying to do here I think I think it might be about the feelings you know those like as a as a straight fellow, I went to an old boys school. Always pretty foreign to me. The feelings you can't even you can't even say it in your regular accent. You know the feelings. You get the feelings sometimes. You get the feels. Abbreviate it because that somehow seems a bit more impersonal. But yeah, like that's that was definitely the thing. I was I was watching this show, and I wanted to laugh because I wanted to support Cassie. But then I was like, I just it's not funny but i but i does she want that is it supposed to be funny is there an irony and like it took me that long like it took me almost the whole show to be like no there isn't this is something different she's a comedian but this is different she's performing it in the round there's no microphone there's sound effects there are clues daniel there are clues that this isn't a fucking stand up hour um but yeah that's that's like a genuine thing like cuz i think i'm so conditioned uh, when being in a live audience, like I'm usually watching comedy. And so I'm like, oh, you need to laugh. You need to get a clap going. But you know, there's always those moments where comedians kind of, especially fucking American ones, try to try to get the clap thing. Like it's it's clear that like, it's like, do you agree? Like just this kind of inherent rhetorical question. So like, I think the blah, 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 blah. Do you? And then like everyone claps. And you're like, yeah, we fucking got it, mate. Like, you know, but that, you know, it is encouraging. Like it is an encouraging thing. Um, so yeah, like the devil horns guy, I was like, yeah, fuck. Am I <laughs> like, I'm not going to concerts and like laughing because I think that's what they want. Obviously I'm not a psycho, but like, yeah, I, I do feel that a lot in life. And I think on a very personal level, I really appreciate the fact that this guy tried to communicate his enjoyment of what I was doing in the way that he was comfortable, you know, like it obviously wasn't exactly what I was looking for. If I had a whole crowd doing devil horns, whenever they liked the punchline, it'd be fucking silent, ruin my timing. But like the intent is there. And it's like, it really, I, I think I mentioned this on stage a couple of times, but like my inability to express to someone that they're doing a good job does prevent me from doing certain things like like this the strip club is a good example because like I'm not a strip club guy but I've been to strip clubs I think as a as a guy kind of I don't know when I think like uh, when you like there's there's kind of four there's like ooh no three there's three times as a guy that you just go to strip clubs right like this this just kind of happens in your life if even if you have little to no interest in it yourself. You will go to strip clubs, A, when you can, like the, the kind of first time that you can, uh, generally the red light district is where you go out in most cities. That's certainly the case in Sydney used to be King's cross. You go out in King's cross, you're drunk, you're 18. You're legally allowed to enter strip clubs. You will walk past one, one of the touts, one of the CD blows, but take a look, take a look, fellas like that kind of vibe. Go on, free entry, take a look, take a look. Like, and you're in and you're watching a stripper and you're too broke to really do anything else. Like they they let you in for free because like it's a weeknight, there's no one in there anyway. You buy like one drink, that's like thirteen bucks, and this is like the you know late two thousands, so you know that is a fucking lot of money. Um and yeah, so you do that. And that's your first kind of experience. Like you're too drunk to really take any of it in. You're like, oh, it's a, you know, somewhat nude woman dancing there. Excellent. Uh, then the second time is like, ooh, I, uh, how would I describe this? Like on a, on a recommendation. I think that's the thing. So you've gone the other time and then like one of your friends, there's always one of your friends who is hornier than the other ones. I think that's pretty true of any male friendship circle. There's always one guy. Well, there's like, there's kind of, sorry, there's, there's two ways you can get it. It's the horny guy because the horny guy is horny and he wants to go to the strip club where horniness is encouraged. Like that's the devil horns of the strip club, like horniness, staring at him, salivating, getting a semi. These are all things that I understand are encouraged at the strip club. Um, no touching, but the rest. And so they kind of take, they want you to, they want to go to the strip club but they don't want to go by themselves because they're in their early 20s and don't realize you can do that. <laughs> Older dudes have definitely figured that out. Older dudes have be like, yeah, we can just go by ourselves. That's great. Then I can get the Sammy, and no one knows. Uh, well, no one I know knows. No one who's using their real name at this point knows. We got there. Um, so they take you along with you, uh, with them to kind of normalize them being there. Or the other one is just, that guy who's kind of got older male friends who, let's be honest, are highly visible. Is that is that a good way to describe them? Highly visible older male friends and they don't call them the strippers, they call them the rippers, and they go down there on a regular basis. And on something with them, he gets taken to what he considers a good strip club and he's like, You gotta go to this strip club. This is like this is like the ones we've been promised. Cause the one thing with strip clubs is the departure from like the, you know rap video slash movie strip club to the reality strip club is fucking epic. It makes, you know, your online dating profile pictures look positively accurate uh, by comparison. And so you go to that with that guy and then you've got like slightly more money, like you pay entry and you can afford a couple of drinks, but the lap dance always seems like a bridge too far. Or... You do the lap dance. I've not done the lap dance. I've never been like, I can fork out a hundred bucks for this. Um, but you do that and then you're kind of like, okay. And then the third time that you go to the strip club is uh, stag do, bachelor party, blah, blah, blah. Like lads get away. Usually wedding related because, you know, for some reason when your friend is a, uh, you know, has met the love of his life and is ready to settle down. You're like, let's just test that. (laughs) Let's just put him next to new and different titties. One last, just a double, just a triple check. We'd hate him to be unhappy. Let's get him involved, get him felt up by someone who isn't his wife, just to tick that off, get that out of the old system uh, for the next forever. Uh, So that's the the final time it happens. And that time is when you do kind of have the money, um I've only had it once, I think, in the in the like, you know, bucks parties that I've been involved in. And that was uh that was like the stripper came to us because you know everything has to have a at-home option now. Like Uber Uber strip, right? Like, you know, it's like, hey, you used to have to go to the strip club. Now you could choose your stripper, they will come to you uh delivered by a man on a bicycle an international student on a bicycle and they come out of the backpack <laughs> do like 15 minutes worth of strip and get back in the backpack and you know they're sent off uh back to the cross uh <laughs> sorry for some reason that's such a fun visual to me just like how many steps down that is from you know marilyn monroe jumping out of the birthday cake for jfk uh <laughs> anyway so yeah the strip club is like a great example of me not knowing how to show my appreciation because I don't have the money to do it financially. Like I know that that, that seems to be the general thing, like tipping, like clapping. I've I've clapped strippers before. I'm like, whoa, athletic, hey, beautiful, great stuff. Um, but like that's I don't know. I feel like that's kind of insufficient. I feel like clapping and staring at the stripper is like the comedy club equivalent of like smiling. It's like it's great that you're having a good time, but we need more from you to make this whole venture work like in the same way with massages like my wife is all about massages and we got like you know health insurance and she's like you get free massages or like you know rebated massages i've never quite figured that out on the health insurance why don't you come get a massage and i'm like to be honest like massages sound good she'll give me a massage and i'll be like thanks oh yeah great um like you start making you know pleasure noises and I'm like, but <laughs> if a stranger slash professional, well, ideally both, is doing this, then the pleasure noises, like, are they accepted? Like, are they considered good feedback? You know, like, are they like, yeah, oh, so, oh, I feel so loose. Thank ah, oh, you hurt me, but good pain, good pain. Like, what, what is that? Like, I don't know. <laughs> And it's an hour. It's you and them for an hour. Like you got to do something, but you don't talk. I don't think it's like a, like, cause I'll, I'll small talk like a fucking champion. Like I'll, you know, your, your general weight staff, a dentist, I'll be, I'll be spitting anecdotes in a dentist, you know, like piecemeal. Like you gotta, you gotta wait while they're doing things around it, but I'll get that done. Some, some doctors and dentists have even been known to have a little catch up with me pre or post appointment. They'll be like, so Dan, what's going on? And I think it's about the health. I'm like, no, nah, how's a tour, what's up? Like, I'll do it. I'll I'll chat. I'll. But yeah, I just the massage. It's too. It's a bridge too far. I don't. I don't know. Like, I mean, do you bring the strip club rules in? It's like when you're getting a massage is a semi. Okay, it's like, hey, this feels good. Like not sexy, just good. Like to it to a male masseuse, obviously. To a female masseuse, that'd be a bit creepy. That's it's coming on a bit strong. But a man, it's like, hey, dude, great job. Like, you know, this isn't even, this isn't even my bag, but the way that you're getting into those, those tendons and deep, deep tissues, I, I'm, I'm feeling it. <laughs> How did I make a man give me the devil horns in a, you know, devil horn adjacent entertainment area, uh, into, into me talking about strip clubs and getting erections with a masseuse. I don't know. I don't know, but sometimes that's just that's just what happens. That's just what happens on the Daniel Moggins podcast. We go, we go down the rabbit hole in this instance. The rabbit hole, just that little face hole. <laughs> little face hole on the massage table. Fuck, someone was telling me this. Someone was telling me this. Uh they got a pregnancy massage. That's like a thing. You get a pregnancy massage. Um by all accounts, being pregnant sounds shit. I mean, obviously, you know, we're very much pursuing that goal strongly. Uh, no luck yet. Thanks for those who've checked in. I will let you know. I know it's like a weird thing to tell an ambiguous, you know, in the in the dark, listening in their own time podcast audience. But I feel like the whole pregnancy journey thing has been mentioned here enough that you are obligated. I am obligated uh, to tell you when we have some success. But... The pregnancy massage. And I was like, oh, like you on your side. Cause um when my I I, I know <laughs> God, what a tangent. I know a little bit about pregnancy stuff, like actually having the belly, because when my wife was uh studying to become a Pilates instructor, I was her like dummy student. And one of the things they have to learn is if someone is pregnant, pregnant safe exercises. So I actually had a, had a couple of sessions with her, you know, pillow in the front, in the front of the T-shirt to mime being pregnant so she could practice and the bulk of those exercises, you've got to be on your side because otherwise it could be dangerous for the for the belly, for the baby, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so she's like, no, it's not on the side. It's for the pregnancy massage. There's like a little face hole and then like a big belly hole. <laughs> Just like a real big hole so the belly can just kind of sit in the table, but like, you know what I mean? But comfortable. And while that sounds lovely, and it's very good that the uh, pregnant women are being taken care of uh, and able to get the massages that they so desire, like it's definitely like, can you imagine being a masseuse, like like a traveling masseuse, like bringing your own table kind of masseuse and... You take the table to the client's house. They're not pregnant. You bring the pregnancy table by mistake. You don't have your other table because your mate's borrowing it because their table broke uh, because of, you know, just a, just a very heavy, tense person. And you kind of... If I walked out and saw, like, a big massage table with a big hole... Around the belly, like A, fat shamey for sure. Like that had that weigh on me in a <laughs> body image sense. I'm like, holy shit, what what am I putting out there that somebody thinks I need this? Slash B, to loop back around to the horny, I'm just like, why do they need that much access to my penis? What's going on? <laughs> What is going on? That just, see, That is just a severe girth overestimation. All right, that is it for another week of the Daniel Muggles and Podcast. Thank you so much for your support. There's a, there's a Patreon that gets you absolutely zero benefits uh, that you can join. Some people have joined. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's lovely the generosity of it all. Uh, I do have some big podcast news coming up, but I'll let you know when I know more, when things are slightly more definite. Uh, Beyond that, I am doing one show in Australia, like one proper show. The Australian tour is getting put together right now. A couple of dates have been announced, but I'll keep adding to those uh, and hopefully have something massive for you in september october and november later this year if you want to keep up with all the details there go to my website and sign up to my mailing list i've i've made it a thing this year for my mailing list to sort out cheaper tickets for anybody interested in coming to the show i reward loyalty so get around that www.danielmuggleton.com.au and as always take a second to subscribe to give us the review. Apparently, some people read out the reviews they get. Maybe I'll start doing that. Apple Podcasts fallen way behind Spotify, so get it on those reviews. Otherwise, thanks for tuning in. I'll uh, chat to you next week. Cheers. Verticoli, get us out of here.